platitude or a plaque. It's not just some sort of way to have positive thinking. The reality is, is that in all things, at all times, God is in control and God has a plan. And that is why as Christians, we need to learn how to suffer well, to go through trials well, to realize that God is at work in the midst of things that we don't understand. Nobody wants to go through hard times But when they happen, and they do for everyone, the tendency is to ask why they happened. Joseph surely could have asked why he suffered the way he did, but Pastor Daniel is going to show that there's no evidence that Joseph had a pity party or even got mad at God. Joseph showed how to live your life. Remember who has you in their mind and do the best you can in your situation because God is who you ultimately answer to. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Genesis chapter 44 as he continues his message, Reunion in Egypt. So when we confess our sins, we are agreeing with God that what we have done is wrong. God already says it's wrong, but we confess it out and say, what I have done is wrong. And we find that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And I believe, in a lot of ways, that one of the biggest failings of our culture is that we culturally do not like to own our stuff. For a long time, we learned that people should never see us sweat, right? We always put on the power suit, the power tie. We have it all together. Even if we're wrong, we don't want to tell you that we're wrong because that would diminish our position. That's an American cultural value. I mean, when have you ever heard a politician get up and just say, hey, I got it right out wrong? Me neither. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. One of these days, Lord willing. But you don't get elected if you tell people you made a mistake, do you? So as a culture, we don't own our stuff. But we need to. We need to get to a place where we're humble enough before God that we can say, you know what? I don't have it all together. I did it wrong. I'm sorry. I made a mistake. Judah's getting there. He's getting there. He says, God knows. God knows our iniquity. God realizes. Now look at what happens in verse 18. It says, then Judah came near to him and said, oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing and do not let your anger burn against your servant for you are even like Pharaoh. My Lord asks his servants saying, have you a father or a brother. And we said to my Lord, we have a father, an old man and a child of his old age who is young. His brother is dead and he alone is left of his mother's children and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father for if he should leave his father, his father would die. But you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall see my face no more. And so it was when we went up to your servant, my father, 
that we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, go back and buy us a little food. But we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother is with us, then we will go down. For we may not see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons, and the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. But if you take this one also from me, and calamity befalls him, you shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Now therefore... When I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with me, since his life is bound up with the lad's life, it will happen when he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me? Lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father. Now, this is beautiful because now we finally have Judah interceding on behalf of his brother. Notice, this is all a picture for us. Because Judah is standing in the place of his brother Benjamin. He's saying, yes, you did find the cup, but let me stand in his place instead. Let me be a substitute. And isn't that what Jesus did for us? Jesus stood in our place Jesus lived the life that we couldn't live, although we should. Jesus died the death that we deserved in our place. Scholars call this penal substitutionary atonement. You got to love scholars. They go to school for a long time, so give them the grace with big words. Penal means it has to do with punishment, substitutionary. Jesus in the place of somebody else, atonement. That word atonement's a great word. It's really the word at one mint, slammed together. So Jesus stands in our place, receives our punishment that we can become to unity, to oneness with the Father again. And Judah here is foreshadowing that. He's saying, look, yes, Benjamin should be here based on what just happened, but my father's life is bound up with this boy. So instead of taking Benjamin, please take me. Now, I don't know about you all, but the reality of penal substitutionary atonement, the reality that Jesus took our place, this is what makes the gospel good news. This is what makes the gospel good news. Because Jesus knew that we could not bear the weight of the punishment that we deserve. Now, I know people, we live in a day and age where a lot of people, I'm sure people in this room, you don't believe that. You're saying, why would God hold me to account? How could you say that I have not lived up to it? But the reality is that the problem is not with our view of humanity. We all know that we fail. But the issue lies on the reality of God's holiness. Most people don't realize how perfect God is. We judge ourselves on a sliding scale, right? Like I always say, it's like because of Charles Manson or Adolf Hitler or Jeffrey Dahmer, they throw the curve off. And we say, look, I'm not as bad as Charles Manson, so I must be okay. But God doesn't grade us on a curve. 
God grades us on what does a perfect life look like lived out from your life. And with that standard, we all fall short, don't we? We all fall short. And so God needed, because he knew it was a debt we could never pay, God needed to send someone to pay it on our behalf. That's the gospel. To stand in our place. And what's interesting is that if you really think about it, because I'm sure there's some people in here today, you have an intellectual issue with the gospel. But if you have an insurmountable debt, a debt that is so large that you could never pay it, and you know you could never pay it. Like, imagine if you had a $16 trillion debt. That's an arbitrary number, right? So if you have a $16 trillion debt, anybody want to volunteer? Anyone can pay for that? Anyone in here? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? No, I didn't think so, right? But if you have that kind of a debt and you realize that that debt is insurmountable and then somebody rolls in who can actually pay it, is it illogical to let them pay it if they wanted to? Uh, hello? No. That's totally logical, right? If you have an insurmountable debt and somebody says, look, for love's sake, I want to take care of that debt for you, that is just plain logic. It makes no sense to let them pass by. No, no, no. I don't think my debt is really $16 trillion. It really isn't. Or, no, no, I'll be able to work it out. We'll tax people more or less. We'll do trade deficit. We have all these things we're going to try and do. We're going to work it out. Logic would dictate if you have an insurmountable debt and somebody wants to pay it for you for love's sake, that you simply say, thank you very much. And you live a life that says, I want to repay that debt, even though I can't. I just want to live a life in response to such a great gift. And that is why the gospel of Jesus Christ is the best news that humanity has ever heard. It's not good advice. It's not a new way to do self-help. It is the purposes and plans of God that we are not ashamed of. Because the debt that Jesus paid for us is so huge that we say, God, we can never repay you. We're just going to live lives of gratitude. And because you repaid a debt for me that was so great, I'm going to spend my life serving everybody else just as a way of saying thank you, God, because that's the best I can do. And that is why the gospel for thousands of years has gripped the hearts of humanity. A God so good, so benevolent, that he would pay a debt that we never could pay. That we never could pay. By letting Jesus stand in our place. And that's beautiful. And that's not the beginnings of the Christian faith. That's the whole thing. That's the whole enchilada, as we like to say. We never stray from this reality that what does my life now mean? How shall I now live because of this gift that we've been given? Because the debt's been paid. Because the price has been paid. Because my punishment has been taken. How do I now live my life? And every single minute of every single day, we come back to that reality. And we say, Holy Spirit, inspire me. Lead me. Show me how I shall now live in light of such an amazing reality. A brand new life. 
But what happens is if we try and think that the debt was payable by anybody, by good works, by all sorts of acts of self-contrition, then we don't think it's a big deal what Jesus did. But we know that it's a big deal, don't we? See, Judah's showing us this. He's showing us what it means by saying, listen, yes, Benjamin deserves to be your slave, but let me be instead. He's foreshadowing Jesus. Now, to move into chapter 45, look at what happens. And Joseph, verse 1, could not restrain himself before all those who stood by. And he cried out, make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him. For they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land and there are still five years in which there will neither be plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now... It was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near to me. You and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty. For there are still five years of famine. And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen. And you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. That's a reunion, isn't it? Once Joseph sees Judah with a heart change, doing what they didn't do for Joseph, now for Benjamin, he can't control himself anymore. He sends all the Egyptians out. And he's just there with his brothers. And he reveals himself to his brothers. He reveals himself. I am Joseph, your brother. And they are certifiably freaked out. They're freaked. They're dismayed at his presence. He's like, no, no, I'm Joseph. And obviously they'd be freaked out because they thought that their brother was dead. I mean, who knew what was going to happen? But know what I love about all this? Joseph is God-centered. Joseph looks at his circumstances, not through the eyes of the physical, but through the eyes of the spiritual. I mean, Joseph hasn't had an easy go, has he? He was sold as a slave into Potiphar's house. He was good in Potiphar's house, but he ended up being falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. He ended up in jail. He did good when he was in jail. He was a good in prison guy. He served the other people. When the butler and the baker had their dreams, he interpreted their dreams. 
but he was still there. If anybody in the Bible could have been bitter, it was Joseph. I mean, Joseph had all sorts of reasons, justifiable reasons for bitterness. But notice what he says. You guys didn't send me here. God sent me here. And you know why God sent me here? To preserve life. And brothers, sisters, that is a perspective that the people of God need to grab hold of. That in the trials of life, and trials happen, that God has a plan. And the reality that God has a plan is not a platitude or a plaque. It's not just some sort of way to have positive thinking. The reality is, is that in all things, at all times, God is in control and God has a plan. And that is why as Christians, we need to learn how to suffer well, to go through trials well, to realize that God is at work in the midst of things that we don't understand. Joseph now sees what's going on. He says, listen, God sent me here. And because I was here, I was able to get those dreams seven years before the famine hit. And we were able to build up all these reserves. And had this not happened, my whole family, Jacob and his sons, and all of their livestock, they would have been poor. They would have lost everything. But Joseph realizes that all this happened to get me here so that we could all live. And that's the problem with trials for us. Because we know that hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Looking back at it. It's 2020, but foresight often isn't 2020, is it? When you're looking into a situation, when we're looking into it, it's hard to see what God is up to. I was just thinking about this as I was reading this today. I was thinking about when my mother passed away. As a lot of you know, I've talked about it before. My mother was 49 when she lost her battle to cancer. You know, when you're 21 years old and you're watching your mother go through chemo and radiation, I mean, it was brutal. It was brutal. And I remember when my mother passed away, I was bewildered. What do you do with that? I wasn't a Christian at the time, so I didn't have an eternal view anyway. But I look back on that now and I say, God, you did some tremendous things through it. Tremendous things. But that's the beauty of being able to look back on it. Remembering what it was like before and seeing how God used it. You know, and and once I came to know Christ, I started to realize that, you know, as Christians, we should have foresight that's 2020. We don't know all the details, but we know that God's got a plan, that God's at work, that God's going to bring beauty out of ashes. Even though things don't make any sense, God knows what he's doing and that God is good and he has a good plan. And I just really get the sense that we need to hold on to that. That for some of us, we're teetering on the edge right now. It's so easy to be absolutely terrified looking ahead. I always think of Moses, and we're going to get to this in the book of Exodus, when the children of Israel left Egypt, and the Sea of Reeds was in front of them, and Pharaoh's army was behind them. You know, and Moses says, stand and see the salvation of the Lord. And all of a sudden, the sea parted. It was like walls on either side. They walked through, and... When they got to the other side of the Sea of Reeds, then they sang the Song of Moses. I've always thought to myself, as Christians, we should be able to sing the Song of Moses before the Red Sea parts. Because we know that God's got a plan. And that no matter how things work out, God is glorifying himself through the circumstances 
of our lives. So, brother, sister, going through a season, a trial, a struggle, let's learn from Joseph. Let's learn from the admonition of Scripture. Your circumstances are not happenstance. They're not the necessarily the manipulations of mean-spirited people. God's doing something. God has a plan. And God's plan is to preserve life. And not only that, I mean, look at what happens in verse 8 here. Look what he says. He's like, and now it is not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Wow. He's like, not only did God send me here to save us all, but he made me a father, a Lord, and a ruler while he was at it. Talk about some ancillary benefits to being a child of God. While God is working these things out, he is also doing a lot of other things. Things beyond what we realize. Things beyond what we realize. Now, once we hit verse 16, it's been a glorious reunion. Joseph is weeping. He's kissing his brothers, happy to be together. Now we pick up in verse 16. Look at what it says. Now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this. Load your animals and depart. Go to the land of Canaan. Bring your father and your households and come to me. I will give you the best of the land in Egypt and you will eat the fat of the land. Now you are commanded, do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives and bring your father and come. Also, do not be concerned about your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Wow. Not only are they going to go to Egypt, but they're going to Egypt in style. Now, I mean, you read it, you know, we're going to send carts with you. That doesn't sound all that exciting for us. This would be like Pharaoh sending his private jet. I mean, they were walking in those days. So bringing a cart for your kids, that's kind of a cool thing. But Pharaoh's pulling out all the stops. He's excited that Joseph's brothers are there. And he's saying, listen, just bring them. We're going to send our carts. Don't even worry about your goods. We're going to take care of you. We're going to give you the best of the land. Bring everybody with you. Now, in verse 21, then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them carts According to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for the journey. He gave to all of them, to each man, changes of garments. But to Benjamin, he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. And he sent to his father these things, 10 donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father for the journey. And so he sent his brothers away and they departed. And he said to them, see that you do not become troubled along the way. Jesus is real. So Jacob gets the news that the son that he thought was dead is still alive. What an amazing thing. The chance to see his sons together again. What could have been better for Jacob? Pastor Daniel taught how Joseph was the savior of his family, having been sent ahead of them to prepare the way for their safety. In the same way, Jesus, the God-man, came to save the human family from the doom that waits for all of us after death. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I just want to say thank you for tuning in. 
I'm so stoked you're a listener of Jesus is Real Radio, and I know Jesus has amazing plans for you. I'd love to hear the story of how God's working in your life. Give us a call here at Jesus is Real Radio at 360-256-4655 or email me at real at danielfusco.com. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Just click on Give. Thank you for partnering with us. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel finishes his teaching, Reunion in Egypt. We're going to hear Jacob's response to the news that Joseph was alive and how it showed his disbelief of the news. Pastor Daniel will remind you of the necessity of faith, of believing that what God says is true and that God keeps his promises no matter what the journey to that end may look like. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Brothers. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.